0: This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started today. Uh, And just, we've been talking about childbearing and the baby years and the toddler years. I wanted us to um, not just turn Not Another Church Podcast into... um, the Children's Men's yeah, Podcast. Yes, yes. So we wanted to take a break for a, a week from, from that. We're going to come back next week and talk about um, those uh, elementary school years, the golden years, as Donna called called it. The, the and golden years. We're going to talk about the middle school years, which is, for me, the absolute worst, unbelievably painful time of parenting. Um,
1: and for the kids. Just yes, as a side note. <laughs> it is a
0: difficult time of life. I, I look back at my middle school years. It absolutely was horrible. Um, I, I
1: know we don't want to go there, but for me, the middle school years, I look at the children I know, the parents I know. It's the, one of the hardest times of their life.
0: It, it, is, it is. If not
1: the, depending on what, you know, what life brings.
0: So today we're going to not be talking about parenting. <laughs> uh, today we're going to actually be talking about... Um, reading and finding stuff that we we put into our minds and uh things that we can extra biblical stuff which we really want to open up and ask the question should we be reading anything other than the bible if the bible says that it um has everything that we need for spiritual growth should should we be reading anything else should we be reading
1: Brian, why don't you jump in first?
2: Hey. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that.
1: Yes, it's you're welcome.
2: Funny. Anytime. I, I, you know, I seem to think so because um, I, it's just that just like even with the podcast, and the other, you're getting what other people have been through and what other people have read through. Now, I'm sure as we go through our talk today, there's definitely things you can weed out, I think, with just about anybody uh, just because none of us are even perfect. But uh, I think that sometimes because, you know, then if you say that, then, what about scripture commentaries and and all these other things? I know for me, sometimes when I'm reading something in a passage or something, I, I can't just get the meat of it right away. I have to read something else to help me understand that. So I don't think you can necessarily cut all the other readings out, but...
1: Well, it would, be, it would become a crazy kind of slippery slope because what you would have to do is cut out all entertainment out of your life in every facet of it. Yeah, you would end up, I mean, as you took that logically down to its conclusion, you would not do anything but sit and read your Bible all day you know
0: which people we don't do
1: you know <laughs> no you don't do that but we, we you know you would cut out conversation with others because if the bible is fully sufficient then what do you need other people for i mean if you really took that to its like, i know it's right. a crazy wild conclusion but what i'm saying is if you pushed it all the way to the to the boundary so the answer to that is obviously no we have other entertainment in our life that no, I know that i don't have to stick to just my bible yes there are other things that i can look at and read um but they, all of those things that I look at and read always have to go back to, does it fit in the boundaries of scripture? Is it good and healthy for me as a Christian?
0: Absolutely. And Philippians chapter four, verse eight says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what we're supposed to be putting into our mind does have parameters. Um, but, uh, I I think that the, one of the reasons and, and realistically, let's keep, keep kind of put our boundaries up of we're talking about theological, what we're exposing ourselves to, um, as for those extra biblical things. One of the reasons why we do read other people is we're acknowledging that the Holy Spirit works in other people's lives, not just mine. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit can, will, is my teacher. One of the things that Jesus said, when the comforter comes, when that paraclete comes, he'll be your teacher. He's been the teacher for the last 2000 years. And so we want to glean from that knowledge. But he
1: also discusses teachers, As in human beings acting in that capacity. So there are those who have a different IQ or a different, um, I don't want to say a different view because that could be a, a crazy, you know, People can take that too far, and then they can go, Scripture means something that it doesn't. Obviously, Scripture right. has its own boundaries. We don't want to jump outside of those. But there are going to be people who have a higher IQ that have a deeper understanding, who um, whom God has prepared and gifted to take their time to teach others and to invest their lives and time in that.
0: And, and I would argue that it, it, it's a gift that we have uh, for the last 2,000 years. It hasn't always been the case that... W- if I all of a sudden was, I was reading in one commentary book and he references somebody else. I can have that book sitting on my desk within 48 hours. Um, and that is unheard of. In fact, uh, I, uh, had the privilege to go to Nepal to teach pastors. Uh, and what we were teaching them was how to go from Bible study to preaching. And so, um, That process of hermeneutics to exposition um, is a fairly clearly laid out path. And the last one is check yourself with godly resources. And so...
1: Now, you threw out hermeneutics and exposition. You probably want to give a little explanation. I I
0: explained it as I said it. (laughs) Hermeneutics, how to study the Bible exposition. Let's
1: slow it down. Make sure everybody (laughs) catches is what I'm going at. Tom.
0: (laughs) Okay. So um, we're teaching that. And uh, I had this, uh, literally this big fat notebook where I'd put together all the notes and I was prepared to teach these Nepali pastors. And uh, I asked Anungla to look over it to see if it was going to be acceptable. And so we actually, I was living in North Carolina. The other pastor who went with us was living in Alabama. Kika and Anungla were living in India, but happened to be in the United States. And so we all met in Atlanta. And so we were in this Japanese restaurant in Atlanta and, uh, um, she reads through the notes and she says, well, this is really, really good stuff. Uh, I can tell you put a lot of work in this. And, and so thank you for that. Uh, I just want to, I have one question really, how are you going to teach this whole process to people who are illiterate? And I, I'm like, what, what, what people are illiterate. And she's like, well, probably half of these pastors can't read. And I'm, I, my first thought was literally, how could you be a pastor and not read? And there's nowhere in the requirements that are laid out in the New Testament that literacy is a requirement. And so we had to get really creative in, uh, we provided these uh, audio Bibles that you wound up. So you didn't have to have batteries or power. You wound it up and then it gave you like an hour's worth of, of listening. And so we got them audio Bibles. And so what we actually did was we created this little, little, took the map where all the pastors were. And we set up these little groups so that the pastors would meet and preach the sermon to each other. And so the check that they had was, um, being able to hear each other's sermons. And so that made me realize what an unbelievable gift of God and privilege it is that I can do my sermon prep Monday through Wednesday. On Thursday, I can literally listen to anybody I want to preach on that same passage. I can go grab commentaries. I can grab books to make sure that um, what I thought was the Holy Spirit wasn't actually the pizza that I had the night before. Mm -hmm. And so that check on myself and Realizing that the Holy Spirit moves in his church, not just in me, is the reason why we read and I would argue that one of the things that we primarily read uh, are old books, and this is why c s Lewis actually uh, wrote a little short three pages you can google it why read old books c s lewis and and it'll come up uh, and in it he he actually starts out kind of tongue in cheek and says, as the author of new books it's against my my uh, my own self-fulfillment to tell you this, but you should be reading old books because every age has things that they see very clearly and things that are blind spots. Hey, the way he puts it is this. Every age has its own outlook. It's especially good at seeing certain truths and especially liable to certain mistakes. So we have every Generation has blind spots that they, they're like, w- well, I, you know, that's not a, that big a deal, and things that they're very good at. And so by reading old books, our blind spots will be exposed because that may be one of the things that they saw very well. And so I would say in our culture, one of our blind spots uh, is uh, our materialism. I can I remember very well with a, a a having a conversation with one of those Nepali pastors actually, uh, who said, and I was just correcting something he had done, and he goes, "How can you say that when what you have on your body right now?" And he was referring to clothes, watch, wedding band. Um, what you have on your body right now would feed a Nepali family for a year. I, and I said, "Well, the two things have nothing to do with each other." A um, Whatever it was I was correcting him about had nothing to do with this. But, but it, apparently
1: it was bothering him. It
0: was bothering him. Yes. And that's a blind spot. That that had never occurred to me that it, it might be sinful for me to go spend $40 for a shirt. That it, My consideration of... So that, that's the sort of thing that we're getting at, is that by reading older books, by reading those people like Edwards and Whitfield and, and uh, Luther and Calvin, those kind of books... They are speaking into areas that maybe are blind spots and where we are, and they're going to see things because they don't have the cultural lens that we do. They're going to see things because the Holy Spirit is moving in their life that we may miss. And so, it, it, really, the reason why we read is that's an acknowledgement, humbly acknowledging that God has moved for the last 2,000 years, that the universal church really is made up of all believers at all times. And so we have the privilege of being able to hear Luther speak, Calvin speak, Zwingli speak, and Edward speak, and on and on and on we go. And so those men who have long since been dead can still preach and can still speak into our lives. And so... No, realistically in, in church life, that's not ever been a question that anybody seriously posed. And why, do we read in today's world? It's all of a sudden being seriously questioned this way. So this weekend I put a quote up by George Whitfield and I had someone say, well, George Whitfield, um, was involved in slavery. So you shouldn't be quoting him. Jonathan Edwards, uh, maybe we we don't know for sure, uh, but for for a year or so had a slave that lived in his house. Some people say from from reading his writings and things that um, she was actually uh, a runaway slave that he was caring for, and some have said that it was a slave that he took in. Uh, we don't know it never says we do know that she ended up becoming a believer. Uh, and then moved on with her life and and was freed after leaving Edwards. But some people have said you should never quote Jonathan Edwards because he's a slave. In fact, there is a Christian song by uh, a Christian rap artist named Propaganda, and he actually says, don't quote Puritans to African Americans because Puritans were regularly chaplains on slave ships. It's arrogant. It is assuming that... um, You're living in a race-free world, and it must be nice. The the song actually says it must be nice not to have to consider color as you make these quotations. It must be nice to be able to contemplate the stars, making an allusion to a famous Puritan prayer, uh, the Valley of Vision, where the author says if you're in a deep well— uh, even during the day, you can see stars. And so the deeper God takes us in our lives and hurt, then we can see God more clearly. So it must be nice to not have to consider race. It must be nice to contemplate the stars. And so there is a movement afoot that says, anybody who has sin, any issues in their life, I mean, we're seeing in our country people talking negatively about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, these people, these men um, were... They made some mistakes, sometimes terrible mistakes. Um, and so I guess the question I want us to look at is, should we, should we throw all of these authors away who have sin issues in their lives?
1: Absolutely hmm. not. I mean, wouldn't you end up throwing everybody's writings away? There would be absolutely no one left to read, to read, you know, when we move centuries away from here, you know, being that the Lord hasn't returned and things are still continuing on and winding in this world in our generation, when they look back and they look at materialism or look at our blindness to it or whatever it is that we may not see yet, there may be other blindnesses. I'm sure there are culturally speaking, especially here in America, but we're going to see those things in generations to come. Does that mean there is no wisdom to be gleaned from the writings of the people of that time? Absolutely not it's the basic i mean we we throw out the saying let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater you know let's look at what we've got i mean I, I, I there are secular authors that i have read who have things they can offer and contribute to me as i'm walking out my Christian life, and if that's true of them, knowing that they are not trying to please Christ, that they are not making an effort to walk uh, to walk a a godly or righteous lifestyle, but I can still read them and look at them and say, you know what? They're right. There's some there's some truth in that. Now of course we would argue and go back to the truth all comes back from the person of God, but you don't throw that out. You take that and you glean that and you always go back in our measuring stick is going to be our Bibles. It's going to be God's word. It's going to be God himself and what he's given us, but you would end up having to throw literally everything away because there is never going to be one that does not have sin in their life.
0: Well, I mean, Romans three is still in the Bible. All have sinned and fallen short yeah. of God's glory. Everybody has, mm-hmm. and I think that we are looking back and we're seeing some of their blind spots, and and they they glare to us. That's exactly what Lewis was saying when he said we should read old books in reverse. I, I and I the list of authors that I mentioned of Calvin, Luther, um, Edwards, own purpose. Those are all people. Um. L- um Luther was, had lots of blind spots in his life. The language that he used, if I preached some of the sermons that he preached, I would be fired summarily um, because of some of the what we would call vulgar cussing that he did in his sermons. Uh, in, in some of his pamphlets on um, that, that are so... So unbelievably anti-Semitic. You could even argue that Luther, at the same time that he was sowing the seeds of the Reformation, sowed the seeds of what would eventually become um, Nazism.
1: Yeah, I've heard that argument before as I've listened to others. But what you're looking at is what what you've got is that when you are someone who is— I I don't know the propaganda song, but the one that you're talking about by that artist, when he's speaking of we don't go back to anyone because they failed in this category of life. What happens when someone comes along to his writings, things that his artistry, creativity and gifting from God has been used to God's glory. When somebody comes back and looks at his life and says, you got to throw that out because he had sin in his life. The issue is going to be each one of us that comes from a place of pride, not a place of humility. When I can go back and read someone and I can read that they have messed up and failed in their life, instead of being and spending my time being angry or throwing them out or not listening what they have to say, maybe it's a checkpoint for us where we go back and look. Whatever God is doing in my life, I have to look and see what part of it is that I'm failing. And then the blind spots that we may never acknowledge or recognize or the sin tendencies that each of us carry um that comes from a place of pride if you would automatically say we cannot read them or they you know can't quote them because it's all bad or all wrong that that's not it's not humanly possible and sure. it's certainly not theologically sound. Yeah.
0: Well, and propaganda did go and I, to his, in his defense and I don't want to defame him by just throwing out half of the situation. He actually takes the song about midpoint and says no generation has ever perfected the balance between good theology and right living. And then he takes it in the last part of the song and says, um, it bothers me when I hear people quote me because I haven't, balanced, good theology, and right living. And he ends it by saying, well, just ask him. my wife.
1: Yeah, yeah, good for him. I mean, I'm glad that he acknowledges that and sees that because that that's going to be true of all of us. And I think the longer, and Brian, you probably would um, go along with this as we're talking, the longer I walk with Christ, the more I see how I fail. And I, the more I, it seems like the harder I, I'm, um, pushing for Christ, the more he reveals the Holy Spirit through his word, through, you know, through my friends who are holding me accountable as I'm walking this out. And they're saying, then look at you and look at how this failure happens. And, you know, I've laughed because, um, I, I told the ladies in women's Bible study a few weeks ago, as I was talking to them, we were talking about, um. One day that I was, I, I was, you know, fussing and complaining about something, and I shouldn't have been, and it it was not important. It was not a, a big thing. But Leah was with me, and um, she, you know, strong sister in Christ, and we're friends, and we're walking this out. And she just kind of looks at me, and she says, now, Donna. And that's all she had to say, that the <laughs> conviction was there. And I was like, fine, I'll shut up now. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: and I, I will say that having my spouse sit on the front row as I preach really does temper sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should. And then
2: I'm like, oh, Oh, oh yeah. Well, I did. did (laughs) Can I pause
1: this sermon for a minute? I'm sorry, Anne. (laughs) I think
2: think that's why, you know, being in God's Word and being, you know, always having that as your main reading and and knowing those things when you are reading anything. It's like whether you're watching something, whatever you're consuming, I think as long as you're in God's Word and, and you have that discernment about it that, and that, I know that's another subject for another day about discernment stuff, but, I, you know, I, it goes hand in hand, I think, because like recently I, I'm guilty. I don't really read a whole lot of old books, but uh, some of the, even the, the people in faith right now that I've I've really looked up to in my life uh, have been failing Fellow me in a lot of ways. You know, I we could name that pastor from Atlanta <laughs> that I really like. That, yes. that uh, you know, he has great leadership things and I think that his leadership stuff is amazing, but some of the things that he's But he's, he's veering says,
1: off, isn't he? Yeah. Yes,
2: he, he can be very off. And uh and so then I have to go back to my scripture and I have to realize, okay, he's an imperfect person
1: because God's word like is that plumb line. Yeah. Right. As as we're doing exactly. that. Yeah.
2: So you gotta I think you have to have that in context and not that I absolutely throw out everything that I I hold on to the things I think are knowledge that I think I can learn from. And then I, I try to test that and put it up against God's word or what I know to be true.
1: But what about when we go too far now? I mean, we're talking about reading. We're talking, we, we mentioned the word entertainment, but we've all done this and we've talked about it among us as a staff, when we've watched or read something that we should not.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hold that thought.
1: Let's finish here. Um,
0: So uh, there, there are two, two principles that are kind of in tension here. One is the idea of the priesthood of of believers, Mm -hmm. that every one of us individually are going to stand in front of Christ and Mm -hmm. give an account. Individually, we're not. We don't have. Nobody's going to be able to say, "Well, let, let me let me call my pastor up here because I'm not sure on this."
1: <laughs> Did I get uh, this theologically I, correct? Let me let me let me
0: check this. Or it's not my fault, Jesus, because um, Tom,
1: can you be my lawyer at that um, moment? That's I, for, <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> so you you will stand alone, and so you're responsible to make sure that that plumb line of God's word is full in your life, so that as you do read, even good authors. Um, they're going to have places where they disagree with you. And for, there is a, an entire, on my list of podcasts, there's an entire podcast planned where we talk about why are there disagreements in the church? Paul says, and some of you disagree, and I'm glad you do. I, I look at that and I'm like, God, why, if we all have the same Holy Spirit, why can't we all just, why can't we all just get along, right? Okay. <laughs> why
1: yeah.
0: can't friends? So, but that's a totally different thing. So you've got the priesthood of the believer, and then you've got within that kind of overarching thing, you've got this idea that you, 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 you played, put it really well. I heard it in seminary called eating fish. And, and what happened was my very first, uh, seminary class. I hadn't been in taking any class, hadn't gone to school for at least 10 years. And so I had this idea, um, that the president of the call of the, of the seminary, Danny Aiken taught a Christology class. So I figure a, I, I know Jesus. So what class could be easier than Christology? <laughs> and yes. I mean, I, I know it. I was like, we're, we're friends. And then B here he is. He's the president of the seminary. He doesn't really have time to, to, invest in a class so this will be a good clep class
1: oh my goodness you thought you were going in basket waving yeah i
0: I thought i'm I'm kind of easing into the water this will be this will be easy Mm -hmm. and it was it was an online class which this was uh we, we had got a book of dvds you had to watch and then you had to log into blackboard and take take tests and the tests were open book open notes so i I was really, really mistaken thinking that means that it must be really easy.
1: Is that overconfidence that we hear? <laughs>
0: yes, yes. So we get into the class and... um The first test that I failed miserably, I learned that open book, open notes means that it's so hard that everybody's failed it up to this point. And so we're just trying to give you at least, (laughs) by the end of the class, he was literally saying, this is the page number in this book that this is discussed.
1: (laughs) And write this Mm -hmm. down. (laughs) Uh,
0: So it was a very difficult class. But uh, one of the things in seminary that they do a lot of is they give you these reading lists that it shocked me at the beginning that especially where I went to seminary at Southeastern, they on purpose make you read lots of heretical works. Um, So I'm reading about a feminist Christology and uh, literally uh, throwing this book across the room on a regular basis to the point that I uh, sent Dr. Aiken an email and said, it was a fun try. Clearly, this is not for me. Um, this is going to destroy my marriage. My children already hate me and I'm in one class and I'm only taking one class. And so he called, called me, uh, when he got the email and said, um, son, you've got to learn how to eat fish. And I, I did, I'm like, I, excuse me. I, I, uh, I was writing you to say, you're trying to get my money back is what I was was (laughs) going for. Um, and he said, son, you've got to learn how to eat fish when you eat fish. You eat the meat and you don't try to eat the bones. You recognize the bone when you put it in your mouth and you spit it out. So as you're reading, you don't be so arrogant to think that because of common grace that anybody cannot give you... And whether they're lost, there th- that you can get something from them that can help you in your walk with Christ, and a and b that you eat the meat and you don't worry with the bones, you don't play with the bones, you don't you don't try to make a you just throw them out. You mm. eat fish, and so that has um, I, there have been times when I'm sitting in my office here at church and I'm reading a book that I uh, I had someone bring me a book not too long ago that was not nearly as good as the person told me when he goes, oh, you got to read this. This will revolutionize your ministry.
1: Oh, I've had that.
0: And yes. I was like, <laughs> on page three going, "Ah, oh, what a bunch of tripe. And um, I heard Danny Akin's voice in the back of my head. Eat Son, fish. you need to learn how to eat fish. Don't be so arrogant. And that's all as far as I need to go. Um, <laughs> And so, that
2: was years ago, right, about that book that somebody handed you? No, no, he, not recently. No, right? oh, that
1: wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> that
2: wasn't recently. Okay? Uh, so that's info <laughs> at NorthGlennCode.com.
1: Pastor Tom.
0: <laughs> so we have the priesthood of believers where we are all going to stand uh, stand before Christ ourselves and give an account for our spiritual walk and the fact that we have to eat, learn how to, to glean the good. And so in the situation with this pastor that you were talking about before, the, and I know which pastor you're talking about. And the stuff that he wrote on small group development, there's literally never been anything written that's better on that subject mm. ever. It, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. Um, it's, it was good in 2009 when he wrote it. It's good today. We can still use it. it the Holy Spirit working in his life then doesn't become any less now that leads us to our next uh thing that we're going to look at which is so what do, what what do we not let in our mind and uh how do how do we deal with that okay so we talked about how we have we need to have a priesthood of believers and and recognize that we are responsible for our spiritual growth. Your pastor is not responsible for your spiritual growth. The children's minister is not responsible for your spiritual growth. The music minister is not responsible for your spiritual growth. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. We are simply equipping you and giving you tools for that. Uh, And that we, we eat fish. Now, as we eat fish, and as we talk about these authors who have good stuff and then bad stuff, I, I want us to kind of segue that into uh, what about those authors who are seventy percent right? Who and, and what are some of the what are some of the things that we say? Okay, I, I'm out. I, I'm not going to. Uh, this is not someone I'm going to expose to my mind. Or um, even more so because I have an entire shelf on my bookshelf that is. Uh, books that I think are, are junk, but I keep them because I use them as a reference. I've read them. I would never reference them, and we need to talk about why. I'm not going to get up and reference Freddie Prince, or I don't have a problem at all talking about s- some of those um, heretics who are using God's g- God and God's Word to make a buck. So right. what what lines do we use? What What is our litmus test? What's our our, our grip?
1: Oh, wow. I don't know that I've ever thought that through. Bron. do you have one that you, this is the place where, you know, I, I mean, I think the first and most obvious one is Christ and who he is. I mean, to me, that's the one where I, I, I won't go any further. If, if you can't acknowledge that he is the son of God, the third member of the Trinity, um, the God-man, that he was fully God, fully man, came here, died, you know, after a sinless life, rose again. If you mess with any of that, that's going to be a place where I'm going to be like, I- I'm out. And, yeah. and I
0: would include in that list the exclusivity of Christ, that yes, yes, he yes. and he alone. Yes. When I hear a preacher on TV going, well, it's really not my place to make that judgment. Then oh,
1: wow. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. I'm out. Uh, I- I'm, I'm out. out. Yeah.
0: Because G- Jesus didn't have a problem at all. And Paul had no problem saying, if anybody delivered, including me, if anybody brings you a gospel other than the one that I brought you, let them be accursed. So,
1: I think that's a litmus test. I mean, we know that the, um, you know that between the denominations, there are always the small things that we you find that there's some variance and disagreement on whether it's the cessation uh, of of gifts um whether it's you know the you know where you jump into things like speaking in tongues and healing and things like that um we know that within each dominant denomination th- there's room for some discussion for that I-, I can sit in a conversation i can watch something on tv i can read a book um, with something that I may not necessarily agree with, but it's going to push my boundaries and help me to think a little more deeply, defend my position or change it as the Holy Spirit sees fit to lead me through his word. Um, but yeah, I, mm, that's, you know, that I think that primarily my, my litmus, litmus test would be the Christ, yeah.
2: you know. No, I, I fully agree with that. And, I, and then when you go beyond that, you just have to look at the things that I guess that they, maybe they practice or or uh, it, it it is it's really tough. Like you said, when you get into different denominations yeah. and. Different stuff, and it's not, I don't know.
1: I have very close friends and sisters in Christ that, you know, they they may attend a church who uh, views some of that differently than I do, but I have no doubt of their love for Jesus, their repentance of sin, um, those things that are very basic to all of us as we walk it out with Christ. Those things I know, and those things I know we're spending eternity together because we love Jesus. We've turned our life over to Him, and we've, you know, we tell the kids. When we're talking to them through a discipleship time or through a baptism meeting with children, we often use the word "boss." But I see that God is the boss, right. you know. They've submitted their will now, not perfectly and not all the time, but we're walking that out together, one with another. And I, there's a there's a kinship in that that's a beautiful thing between us that I can feel a love for them and they for me as we're walking that out. That even when times when we're angry or we fight with relationships and friends, that you know, when it comes down to the most basic part of it. Is that I, I belong to Christ, sure, you know, sure. and my life is His. So, as as far as that that line goes, I think that that's a I don't know that's a, that's a big question. There are things occasionally. Um, that get me going. Like, you know, it's a personal thing that kind of gets under my skin. That'll be a pet peeve. Everybody has those, sure. you know, and sure, there's sure. things when I'm hearing somebody talk through those things and I'm looking at them and, and they're not taking scripture as a whole, you know, we've, Tom has really pushed us the, for several years now as a church and as a staff and all of that, that we, we look through scripture and we're taking it as a picture as a whole. So if I pull out some crazy one place um, verse and say this verse is a is a test for all faith for all time when I'm not looking at the scripture as a whole I think that now more often than not when I'm listening to another pastor that's one of the things that's a check, sure, check sure, place sure. for me to listen to is I'm like is he putting that in the context of the whole of scripture mm-hmm.
0: so what I use is in my mind I kind of have a, a, a dartboard mm-hmm. and so out here on the edge uh, that I can use for is anything. I, I literally, I have anything that's not sinful. So I, 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 literally in my office right now have a book by Nietzsche. I have a book called, um, um, uh, a, a book that talks about, uh, anthropology and talks about how man developed the idea of God. So humanism, very humanistic writing. And so out here is that I'm not I'm using this to to learn about what else is out there. I'm using that to prepare my apologetic, to to be educated, to to be able to speak into people's lives, because I know that they're going to be exposed to it, to recognize those things in the culture. I'm not going to use these in my life for edification. I'm not going to use these for uh, to, to teach myself anything. We step in. A little bit, and then, then you've got stuff from maybe some of my brother sister denominations that, that we have some disagreements about, maybe some sign gift issues. Some, so I can still be edified by things that they write. I can still, and, and as that comes in for me, quoting in a Sunday school class or, or um, in a sermon, that gets really tight. I mean, that it, just as
1: long as we're not the bullseye. Because that's one of the things you discussed in the last part of our our podcast today is that we have to be able to listen to others. And we don't take that our teaching, preaching, each of us that have been in staff and ministry and teaching and leadership roles, we don't think we're the only ones who are hitting the bullseye.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's not a bullseye like that's absolutely correct. It's the bullseye of this is what I'm going to use. And the reason why I'm really leery of using material from people out here uh, in, quoting in a sermon, even unless I really preface it, if I'm going to quote Nietzsche, I'm going to say the <laughs> humanist is Nietzsche. Yes. Uh, because what I don't want to do is accidentally give someone the impression that, oh, this is somebody that I, I agree with. And so you can go read some of his other stuff and it's going to be helpful. And then I, that I send that brother in Christ into some difficulties. Mm-hmm. And so, that is a concentric circles, and so for me, the difference between reading some somebody something and um, going ah the whole time that I'm reading, I don't really like this. I don't I don't like the flavor. I don't like that they're proof texting. They're just pulling verses out that, of the that, air. Yeah. It's, and somebody that that I'm sitting down and studying and using them as a study tool, and I'm going to use them as a resource from the pulpit or from in my Sunday school class. Or the the difference in those things is is trust. That the way that they've handled scripture, the way that they've presented things is being done in a way that I trust that, that they're going to. And sometimes that trust has been violated yeah. in my lifetime. Um, and I, I, don't, uh, I don't think that we're going to get in trouble from libel since it's been so public. But Mark Driscoll is an example of that. Mark Driscoll is there in my generation probably there has not been a better speaker. He could command the pulpit like nobody's business. And he had no problem pushing the boundaries of churchianity yes, to I make remember people hearing some of his- uncomfortable. Yes. I love that. Now he would sometimes take it too far yes. and, and do things that some people would perceive as vulgar or some people would say the okay, whoa, whoa, you can't you can't do that. I, I tried to recognize, and I defended him. I actually uh, had an elders meeting, not at this church, but at a different church where I was pastoring, because I had quoted Driscoll. It was right when Driscoll came out with his Song of Solomon stuff, and I got called on the carpet. Why are you quoting uh, Driscoll when he said these things? And so I said, well, keep it in context of the fact that he's a pastor in the on the West Coast, and so what's normative for his culture is different than what's normative for us in rural North Carolina. All right, And so... I tried to defend him, um, and then the wheels fell off of Mars Hill, and now I look back and go, "Why didn't I recognize the signs?" I, I mean, they were all there. That there was an arrogance there. There was a, there was so much going on that was driving. That was there were theological warnings. There was all kinds of stuff. So I honestly, um, he has one particular sermon about faith. That really spoke into my life when I was struggling with the call to the pastorate, uh, where he talks about we have perfect faith in the rearview mirror, but we have really weak faith in the front front windshield. And that analogy grabbed me. I'm like, oh wow, we can look back and see how amazing God has been. And so, why if we if we see that He's been amazing, why can't we trust Him? Moving forward. Because it's foggy. <laughs> foggy out. Got my low foggy. beams on.
1: I'm trying. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I'm trying, Lord.
0: Um, but that analogy really spoke to me. I recently re-listened to that sermon. It's still an unbelievably fantastic sermon. Um, but I would, not, I would not feel comfortable quoting him from the pulpit. Because I don't want anyone to... I, I want to protect my brothers and sisters in Christ Who might say, oh, well, Driscoll, if the preacher's quoting him, then I'm going to go grab some of the Okay, but so
1: would you then quote Spurgeon, Edwards, um, Whitfield, some of the ones we've talked about earlier? I
0: I would because I trust the way that they handle Scripture. I would—so let's take Edwards. Um, He's the least likely, Spurgeon maybe, uh, to cause any any— So Edwards, if you look at his stuff on end times, his eschatology— it's wackadoo. I mean, he gets off the rails. He literally reads the paper, reads that a ship from South America, go, he lived in the, the uh, 1600s, mm-hmm. a ship was going from South America with, laden with gold that was supposed to be delivered to the Vatican. The ship got in a, uh, a um, uh, storm and sunk. And so he goes, what? Third seal. Third seal's been broken, but bro- bro- we're living in end times. They, the Lord's on the way. And so he, his eschatology is out there. He does a lot of explaining about how we know that Israel couldn't really be a nation. <laughs> and so, you know what? That particular book of the selected or uh, the uh, complete works of Jonathan Edwards is literally brain new. The eschatology one is never, the spine's not broken. There's no pages God. falling out. You look at his stuff on um, repentance and how to fight sin. The pages are falling out. Uh, I use it all the time. And I would have no problems quoting Edwards because he was a pastor theologian who handled Scripture humbly. And so even when he's wrong, he's still under the submission of Scripture.
1: So are we differentiating between the man... the, the sinful human part of them that's going to mess up in their lives. And then the one part of them that is the gifting of God and handling of God's word. Those can be two absolutely different things that can be a lit- litmus test for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I,
0: I, because we're all broken men. And Martin Luther famously said, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Amen. So, and, and thank God that he does. But, um especially in the modern era, there are so many charlatans who are using Christianity as a way to pad their pockets.
1: Yeah. Have you heard Costy Costi Henn's um, testimony about coming yes. out of Benny yes. um ministry? Have you heard that? I don't
2: think I've heard that yet.
1: Well, he's the nephew of um, Benny Henn, and um, I-, I recently listened to a podcast with him where he was doing some of his testimony and sharing how he— how they accepted all of the things that they got the lifestyle the um the luxury l- luxury that they lived in off of just going places and literally taking up an offering just anyway god got after him and and god has gotten hold of his heart and changed his life amazingly in his ministry you know and he doesn't come at it with a bitterness or anger towards his uncle or family and he talks about how it benefited the whole family mm-hmm. um he talks about the background of Benny Hinn and how his childhood was and how it affected him now and what he's doing in ministry and calling what he does as a work of God um as he goes through all that and the miracle working nature the um the idea that of uh, faith healing um taken to extremes sure. a- and used to to pad the pocket Of themselves and others around them.
0: And and we see Paul on one hand says, you know, even those that are preaching the gospel in the book of Philippians to, to undermine me, I celebrate that the gospel is being preached. And yet we also see him in Galatians when he sees preachers who are preaching a false gospel, him very, very angry yeah. and essentially accursing those people, anathematizing, saying, in the words of Paul, when the silversmith came up and tried to buy the gospel from him, he said, to hell with you and your money. Um, so uh, th- th- Paul clearly recognizes a difference between someone that is using Christianity to enrich themselves to socially enrich themselves, that that spiritual abuse versus someone in ignorance or in um, uh, just being fallen, th- th- there there is a difference there. And so, I'm quick uh, when somebody comes to bring me a book that's that's on this side. I would say, hey, be careful as you're you're reading this author. Just you know, I've I've seen this or maybe. If you see, if you if you start reading into into this, maybe just be careful. On this side, if somebody brings me a book, I, I usually say, you need to throw that away. I will throw it away for you if you'd like. Um <laughs>
2: will right here.
0: Yeah, we'll burn it right here. <laughs> um, so it's it, there's a difference, and there's a big difference. And so I would say that anytime the Gospel is presented as Jesus is a means to money, Jesus as a means to self actualization. Jesus is Jesus is a means to anything then Jesus isn't your God, whatever that thing is, is.
1: Right, so it, it, as we're talking through this, it made me think of the story of um, Jesus in the temple, when he cleanses the temple a couple of different times. I've been teaching that to the kids. We just went through that and helping the kids to understand and trying to help them. To oh, I wish you'd those. called me in to flip the table. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't think about it. I am good at flipping tables. <laughs> you know, yeah. you would have braided a whip, wouldn't you? Yes, <laughs> but as we're talking through it, helping those kids, you know, the kids who are very literal to start to try to kind of parse out the difference between it's okay to have a business and sell animals that are to be sacrificed at the temple for those who are pilgrims traveling in, but when they went into the temple grounds and they, it became a place of business yes. as opposed to, to as opposed to a place of prayer and helping them to understand that it's a misuse of what God has given or the place where we come to worship and that sort of thing and how difficult that is as the kids were trying and you could see it on some of their little faces as they're like. So you could have a store and sell the animals outside of the temple and, you know, and and as they're working through that in their minds. And I think for us, we go through that just on another level, you know,
0: I think the big thing is, and it does come back to that discernment and, and we have to be to quote Spurgeon so biblical that if we're. We poke ourselves with a needle; Bible comes out, is the way yeah. that he put it. Or I've I've heard; uh, I think it was Adrian Rogers said that if a mosquito lands on us, it should fly away singing.
1: There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. <laughs> <Yes>. Fire, fire, <laughs> not power, not power. power. <laughs> not power.
0: So, I, you know, I, I think that there is a difference, and we have to be discerning. Hmm. And we, you, you need to be able if you're reading someone that is uh, Spurgeon. Edwards, some of those great hallmarks of the faith, we read them with the same critical eye that we would read anyone else and say, my, mm-hmm. ultimately there, I have this priesthood of believers. I've got to st- make sure that it stacks up with the scripture. Yeah. That's where, that's my litmus test. Mm. And so,
1: and the further back we go, the closer we get to the time of Christ. It's really interesting. I think to read some of those, um, those ancient words and some of the ways that they viewed things. And you begin to get the historical context of where they're, you know, they're 300 years out from the time of Christ. And you're like, wow, you know, it's so much yeah. closer than we are, and this is how they saw things, and this was the view. And there were things that they disagreed about. Oh, lots you know, of things and, they disagreed and, and, about.
0: Yeah. Well, in fact, the first council that where they got together to talk about it at Nicaea, those people before that are called the pre nicaean fathers, and it's really interesting. We don't do uh, historical theologies much anymore. But it's interesting because nothing, there is nothing new under the sun. No. Almost yes. all the heresies that we deal with today come creeping in. We've The church has dealt with this before.
1: Somebody's punched somebody over it. Yeah, yes, yes.
0: I, <laughs> I came to history. deliver presents and, and punch heretics. I'm all out of presents. Every yeah. year I got to put that meme I on. I
1: love that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> for those of you that don't know, the, the real yeah. St. Nicholas uh, punched uh, a guy in the face for... for um, saying that Jesus was not divine, and Nicholas walked up and said, you will not speak of my Savior that way, and punched him square in the face.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah.
2: So that, that's, Thanks that's, for the context, though, then. There you go. Yeah. That's your Santa Claus. <laughs> and I think if you're, if you're struggling with who to read and what to read, I think just like what y'all have been kind of touching on, getting to know who the author is and just because everybody's got a Google machine now, as you like to call it. <laughs> Read up on your author If it's something that you're re- I, I don't know Like for me I try not to blindly Walk into a, a book I guess Because I'm not a big reader anyway <laughs> But You know When I'm going to read I actually kind of want to know A little bit something About the author To make sure they are A legit sure. source You know what I mean
1: Oh goodness And like um, Christian biographies Like Um Eric Metaxas wrote one on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, pastor, preacher, martyr, spy, I think is the subtitle of it. Um, he died, you know, World War II. He had um, tried to be part of a plot to take down the Nazi Germany. Um, it's amazing to watch his story. But anyway, I read his story through Metaxas' um, biography of him, but it got me to want to go back and read then Bonhoeffer himself right. and his writings and how, um, how intelligent he was and how um, he was trying so hard to for the to disciple and to teach others and to live out what he had been called to live out mm-hmm. and you know you get those connecting points where you start making that and it takes you back and you begin to read things and you get the interest of it in the human interest and then it gets really um knowing those people so i start out with his biography and then i'm getting into reading what he's written and i'm thinking he's gonna die a martyr and i already know that and you know him and you know what's coming and it just the depth that it brings to that is you're encouraged by those who've come before us.
2: Yeah. Cuz i'm just thinking about the young person or the the person who is just maybe just new to christianity that you know it is such an intimidating thing. If if they still had christian bookstores and you just walk right in where do you even start? Where do you, do you start? Yeah. They, yeah, if i was if i was discipling a young believer i wouldn't send them to a christian bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, mm. let's just face it, if you're going to buy a Christian book right now, it's like Barnes and Noble, which is everything under the sun, you know, mm-hmm. or a, um, you know, a Second and Charles, whatever. Here, we're giving endorsements. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> mean endorse Sorry. section brought to you by the good <laughs> folks at Barnes and Noble. Barnes so, and Noble for all your book needs. If you are that young person, and, you know, and I think that's where, I don't know, you know, I, if you're struggling, I think, with, with who to read and what to read, definitely talk to Pastor Tom, talk to one of us here at the church or. Or, you know, and just try to get an an older,
1: mature, godly believer. Just go to them and ask them, what is it that has made an impact on your life? Because it's going to be different for each of us because of what we've been exposed to, what our life experiences are. But it will start you on a pattern where you're reading some amazing things. And
0: in today's world where audio books are so prevalent, there's a um, a young man in the church who... um, because of his job, he he can have headphones on, and he he's listened to a ton of books uh, for, through a resource that I hadn't heard of before, where he's listened to them pretty much for free. Um, and so there there's lots of ways I, I know that some people aren't big readers. I just want us to really, my point for this was, a, I want us to recognize the value in the fact that the Holy Spirit's moved for the last two thousand years
1: in a lot of people. Yeah.
0: and so we can we can access that. Uh, in old books and new books, and so that—that's an amazing gift. And then I want to caution us on the other hand to be careful. Um, you and you alone will stand before Christ, and uh, everything, including what I teach, what Miss Donna teaches in the children's area, what what we sing, everything needs to be held up to Scripture. And let God be a truth, and every man be a liar. That has been not another church podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king.